Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. series uh, we've entitled Tolerable Sins, and if you're joining us uh, for the first time or uh, recently, uh, this title is intended to make you go, what? What what are you talking about? The emphasis is that there is not supposed to be any sin that we look at and go, this becomes okay. (laughs) This is all right. It's not as bad as this. That's okay. Instead, if we are truly pursuing what God has called us to in Christ, there should be in us a disgruntledness, a uncomfortable reality that sits in called conviction when we look at our lives and we see, wow, these are the areas that just are not meeting what God has called me to in Christ. If you're wondering, well, how do I know what God has called me to in Christ? Read your Bible. It's the greatest gift outside of Jesus and the Holy Spirit himself that has been given to the church. God hasn't left us wandering in the desert, wondering what in the world we're supposed to do. When someone asks me, what, I don't know what God's will is for my life. My first answer is always read the Bible It articulates what God has called you to. The Word of God is, in fact, the will of God. So spend time in God's Word. And that's exactly what we're doing. Uh, And a piece of this, before we uh, jump into our new text in 1 Timothy 6, we've been memorizing Scripture together. And so uh, this is your quiz moment, okay? And uh, just think about this. You all will have a leg up on anyone who is on vacation this weekend because you get an extra week of practice on these memory verses. And next week when you come, you can teach everyone else. Okay, so we're going to start. We started talking about sin itself and defining sin on week one of this. And we uh, Psalm 119.11 is our memory verse. So uh, let's read that together and then I'm going to black it out and we're going to say it together. Okay, here we go. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119.11. Let's try it. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119.11. Amen. The next week we focused on anger. I don't know about you, but that is one I just keep coming back to. That time in God's word. I've heard a lot of people who've resonated with that. It's a challenge. And so this is the verse that we've sought to memorize when we think about Anger and how we should respond. So let's read this together. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Hey, here we go. Let's try it again. Oh, James 1, 19 and 20. 
This is what I do. All right, we're going to try it. All right, here we go. Ready? Know this, my beloved brothers. Quit. Slow to speak, slow to anger, for man. <laughs> James 1, 19 through 20. All right, little test. And I was struggling because I memorized this in NIV, so I keep coming back to that. Okay, here we go. Let's let's try this one. Psalm. This was a week we uh, talked specifically about impatience. How have you all been doing with living a life of patience? Someone laughed. I'm struggling. It's a daily struggle. This is why we need to memorize scripture, right? Okay, so let's say this one together. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait. For the Lord. Psalm 27, 14. Let's try this. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Psalm 27, 14. Then we talked specifically about the sin of self-indulgence. Or we just give in to our flesh. And we were in Galatians chapter 5. And let's read this verse together. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Galatians 5.16. Let's try it. But I say, walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Nice work. Well done. Then last week, we had the privilege of hearing from one of our elders, Chris Layton, as he talked about uh, the, the sin of gossip and slander when we use our words in a way that's wrong and is not conducive to what God has called us to. And he left us with this verse, Ephesians 4.29. Let's read this together. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Ephesians 4, 29. Now we're going to try this. I recognize this is a new one. Okay? So let's do our best. I'm still working on this one. So let's, let's put this into practice. Okay? Take one more look at it before I take it away. Focus in and... Alright, here we go. Ready? Let no corrupting talk Come out of your mouth, but only such as is building others up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Ephesians 4.29. Okay, we're work on that one. I think I jumbled a couple of the words. So anyway, today, okay, and I'm not going to have you try to memorize this today. This is our memory verse that we're going to commit today. And I just challenge you, okay, church family, the fact that if you are working on any of these at all is awesome. The goal is not that we just become a master of this overnight and we can just say all of these verses. The goal is that when you're in a moment where you go, I'm struggling with this, 
I'm challenged by this, that the spirit, you'll be amazed that the spirit of God will bring one of these passages to mind. And you'll go, oh. Whether you're at work or at home or you're out with friends and all of a sudden in a moment where you might be tempted to gossip, you will hear almost like a small voice in your head. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is good for building others up as fits the occasion. You go, oh, my goodness. Or you'll be tempted to really react in anger. And all of a sudden you'll hear kind of this. It's almost maybe you feel it. It's like a tap on the head. Every one of you be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to anger. For man's anger does not bring about the righteousness of God. That's the goal. And it goes back to Psalm 119.11 that says, I've hidden your word in my heart. Why? So that I might not sin against you. I want to do that. I want to commit this to memory so that I can walk faithfully in what God has called me to. Let's read this verse together and then we're going to come and we're going to read uh, more in 1 Timothy 6. But let's say this. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. 1 Timothy 6, 6 and 7. Amen. Paul, in his letter to Timothy, is seeking to encourage Timothy this Spiritual son that he has committed to walking with for his journey. And now is seeking to encourage him in ministry. Writes him this letter, 1 Timothy. Now, if you don't know who Paul is, uh, your challenge this week is to read Acts chapter 9. Take a note of that. Read Acts chapter 9 and you're going to find the story of this guy whose name was not always Paul. In fact, it was Saul. And he experienced Christ. On a road, he was blinded, he was healed, he was redeemed. That's the Cliff Notes version. Go and read Acts chapter 9 this week. Okay? And Paul now is writing to encourage Timothy to keep on doing the ministry that he's already begun doing. And Timothy, faced with a whole myriad of issues within the culture he's in, Paul writes in chapter 6, starting in verse 3, he says this. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmless, harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Father, I pray that as we unpack your word, that you would open our eyes to see how we can live as people 
who are content in Christ for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. In February of this year, February of 2022, CNN released an article entitled, American Happiness Hits Record Lows. In this article, it details how only 38% of Americans say they're satisfied, highlighting everything from quality of life to the structure of the government, and the polled results were clear. People aren't happy. Turn to your neighbor and say, people aren't happy. And everyone goes, yeah. The final synopsis in this article states this. Indeed, we likely won't solve our collective issues overnight. I laughed at that line. Hopefully, hopefully, we can get back to a better normal. Because right now, these numbers are just downright depressing. Now, I am consistently skeptical about any polls. Okay, and the reason for that is because any poll you see that says 38 percent of Americans, it's really only a subgroup of that population. It's only a handful of people that they actually poll. and There's only so many of those people who are polled that actually do the poll. So it's usually like a small, you know, a few thousand people that make up a poll. So if you ever are tempted to trust a poll, look at the statistics first. However. This one caught my eye because I found myself not doubting that this is indeed the mentality of many. Not only in our country, but most concerning, this is what I've gathered as the mentality in a lot of our churches. People are not happy. And they're really dissatisfied with where things are at. Growing over the past several years especially has been a general discontentment with the way things are. How many of you would say at one point or another in the last three years you have been discontent with the way things are? Come on, be honest. I think every one of us is be honest about that. And many of us would probably say, yeah, I'm still that way. Still struggling with this. Conversations have increased about fear of what lies ahead. Loss and frustration, heightened anxiety and isolation have crept into our homes. Leaving people not only dissatisfied, but alone. As we're talking about tolerable sins, you may be wondering what all this is leading up to. Is being frustrated with the state of the world, my relationships, my job, being frustrated with the government. Is all, this, is, is all that a sin? Is that what you're saying? While any of these can no doubt cause us to root into sinful way of living and thinking, there's a deeper rooted issue that creeps in and destroys us from within. A weed That when left to grow stretches into every part of our lives and is fertilized by social media, friendships, television, and the almighty dollar. And that's the sin of discontentment. 
If you get nothing else out of today, I want you to walk out of here with this. Discontentment says it's not enough. Contentment, biblical contentment says Christ is enough. Discontentment says, honestly, we could probably exchange not for never. It's never enough. Whether we say that verbally or our actions say that. Contentment in Jesus' name says Christ is enough. Now, as Paul is writing to Timothy, he actually begins. And the reason we don't just jump in in verse 6 Because we see in verse 6 of 1 Timothy 6, it says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. You might go, Matt, why didn't you start there? Why do we read verse 3? And that's a great question. The reason for that is because verse 6 starts with what word? What does it start with? Shout it out. But. But is not the beginning of a thought. It's the continuation of a thought. Therefore, it's important when you're reading your Bible, we need to go back and say, if we start there, uh, I, like, I like to just tell people, never start with a but. Because people are going to wonder, what are you contrasting that to? What is that? So we go back to verse 3, and Paul is really, what he's doing here is he's giving Timothy a way to diagnose people who are false teachers. People who are rooting into a different gospel. A different good news. He says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with sound, the the sound words of the Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. And then he gives this description. So there's three diagnoses he gives here to Timothy about someone who is a false teacher. The person teaches a different doctrine, literally some kind of different teaching. He does not agree with the teachings of Jesus, and it does not agree with teaching that leads to godliness. All of that is in those first couple of verses. If anyone teaches a different doctrine, he does not agree with sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. Okay, there's a a pause there. Continues on. It gives a description that follows this. He is puffed up with conceit. He understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversies and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't be like that. We don't want to be like this. Now, what's really interesting about this Put your finger in 1 Timothy 6 and flip back to 1 Timothy 1. Just a couple pages back. Paul talks about this at the beginning of his letter too. And this is where I'll tell you, when you're reading your Bible, don't just cherry pick a verse out. Go back and read the whole letter. Alright? In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, here's what Paul says to Timothy. As I urged you, When I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. 
nor to devote themselves to, get this, myths, endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience, a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. This is not what you want in someone who is teaching, someone who's equipping others. This is what you want to be warned of. It gives us a picture of this. Now, go back to 1 Timothy 6. And in 1 Timothy 6, after, at that, really at the end of this list of this is what this person's gonna look like, the end of verse 5, there's a statement here that correlates and what transitions us into this idea of contentment. And it's a statement imagining that godliness is a means of what? Gain. Everyone say gain. That godliness is a means of gain. Now, this is actually very common. Where we take an idea that if I just become more and more godly, I will gain more and more earthly power and success and material. And if I am doing what God wants me to do, God will, in essence, build my kingdom here. Many people fool themselves into believing this truth. In fact, if you did a Google search, I guarantee you, you could find multiple places hidden under the guise of spirituality that would tell you, send us a check and we will pray for your healing. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Wrong. No, this is the contrast in verse six, but godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. Now, I bring that up because We have to check ourselves, church family. We have to check ourselves to make sure we don't end up falling into this category of proclaiming a different doctrine, a different teaching than what Jesus has called us to in himself. We have got to keep ourselves accountable to that. And I tell, I say this often, you have to keep myself and the other leaders in our church family accountable to that. There should never be an instance of someone standing up here and proclaiming to you anything other than the word of God. Don't let that happen. May we for did you know this year and we're we're going to celebrate this in December. December 11th of this year is the 100th anniversary of this church. 
you know that? 1922. My prayer is if the Lord tarries in another hundred years, the word of God would still be being proclaimed. May that be true, but it starts with us. We have to heed that warning. Now, one might ask, for one, what, what is godliness? Well, I want to go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. It says, His divine power has granted us all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted us His precious and very great promises, so that through them we may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Godliness is rooted in Christ. Alright? At the end of the day, godliness is rooted in Christ and becoming more like Jesus. So what gain is there in godliness? That's the second question. What gain is there? In Philippians chapter 3 verse 8, Paul says, Indeed, I count everything as loss for the sake of Christ. In fact, he goes on in that to communicate even further that in comparison, in comparison to Christ, everything else is rubbish. In Romans 8, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. Church, the world says suffering stands in the way of our greatest desires. The gospel says suffering reminds us the best is yet to come. Listen to that again. The world says suffering stands in the way of your greatest desires. The gospel says suffering reminds us the best is yet to come. Discontentment says it's never enough. Godly contentment says Christ is enough. Now one of the interesting realities here, if we look at verse 8. It says, but if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. I don't know about you, but I read that and I went, that's hard. And we have not adopted that kind of framework in our Western minds. And so it took me on this search through Scripture where I asked the question, did did Scripture really tell us that we should be content? With just food and clothes? And you may not like what I found. Turn with me. This is the last time I have you turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Because what better place to go than the very teachings of Jesus himself? And this passage most frequently is used to talk about worry and anxiety. But there's an aspect of this that's rooted in discontentment. That until I was studying on this, I really hadn't put the two together. So verse 19. Some of you are going to be familiar with this. Matthew 6, Jesus is 
teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, and he says this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Wrong, right? (laughs) I'm checking you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now this solidifies once more what Paul had just said. Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, we could take nothing out of it. So therefore, Jesus' teaching, whoo, store for yourselves treasures in heaven, not on earth, because you can't take it. You can't take it with you. But he goes on in verse 25, therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And then he gives this illustration. Look at the birds of the air. They don't store. They they don't sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his lifespan? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, and neither toil nor spin. Even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. And yet here's the command, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious by itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I thought in that, you know what, the things that we tend to be most anxious about are not those. In fact, I can't remember the last time that a majority of people sat in my office or came and talked to me and said, you know the thing I'm most anxious about right now is where I'm going to get my next meal. Now that is true all over the world. In our Western culture, though, my goodness, we don't have this mentality. In fact, what we're concerned about more often than not is things that are way in the future. What's going to happen as a result of this? And... Jesus teaching over and over says, focus on today. What do you need for today? Focus in on that. Godliness with contentment is great gain. While it's not wrong to obtain or to have, if your contentment is based in anything more than Christ, you will find yourself in a war between what your flesh wants and what God calls you to do. Now in closing... When we think about contentment, we think about the fact the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. We think about it will not satisfy you. 
the question becomes, how do I begin to wage war on my discontented heart? And I want to give you four practical ways that you can wage war on discontentment. And then we're going to pray and we're going to sing one last song together. Number one, change the narrative in your mind. Discontentment is a mental battle more than it is anything else. It's just the reality. A quote I read from another uh, E-Free pastor um, named Colin Smith. He said, Job said, the Lord gave and the Lord took away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The discontented person says, the Lord gave, but he should have given more. And I went, ouch. One of the practices that has become really significant in my life was actually one that uh, uh, my personal counselor, therapist, gave to me. It's called a gratitude journal. And on the surface, it seemed really simple. And it was this. Every day, write down three things that you're thankful for. Of course, when he told me that, I just I was kind of like, that's easy. And we do that every night when we pray, right? Here's the trick. You could not repeat the same three things that you did the day before. And you had to do it for 30 days. Now, I'll tell you, the first week is a piece of cake. You get to about day 8 to 10, and I'm writing down, I'm thankful for green grass. Seriously. And what it did is it opened my eyes to all the things around me that I could be content with. But in my state of mind, I chose not to. Practice that. The third thing in changing the narrative in your own mind, read your Bible. Look at what hope you've been given. Read Scripture. Secondly, instead of asking what can I get, ask what can I give. Now, don't you take this and make it say, Pastor Matt saying I've... Don't ask what you can get from the church. Ask what you can give to it. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying God has called us as the church to be the most generous people on earth. And it's to be a way of life for us. Being generous goes beyond just saying, oh, I'm going to give, <clears throat> give to the ministry of the church. It's my neighbor needs help over here and I'm going to step out of the way and make sure I care for them. So I'm out and about and I see someone who's in need and I take time out of my day that's not an inconvenience and I give to that person. We should be people of generosity. Generosity is an antidote to discontentment. Thirdly, I laughed about this when I wrote it down. Have a garage sale. Seriously. And I, when I read that to my wife last night, she said, yeah, you writing that down who hate garage sales. I'm like, yes. So I, I, I even wrote in my notes, have a garage sale slash a Facebook sale. You sell it online. We have way too much stuff. Really. This is a big problem. That's why storage units are one of the biggest businesses you could go into in these days. Because you buy a house that's bigger than you need, and then you fill your garage that's bigger than you need, and then you have more stuff, and so what do you do? You pay for a storage unit to fit the stuff that won't fit in your house that's too big, or your garage is too big. It's the American way. 
And we get more stuff. We go, man, I guess I'm going to have to build a bigger barn. Have a garage sale. See how much you can condense and where your contentment really is. That's what I've been challenging myself and our family to. And the last one is simply this. Remind yourself of the gospel every day. And you might go, well, how does that impact this? Well, here's what the gospel says. The gospel says I'm a sinful person who has missed the mark of God's holiness. Yet Christ has made a way where there seemed to be no way for me to be saved. He died on the cross that I could be redeemed and have life and life eternal. The very life that lasts, that's not of this world. And nothing of this world is eternal, but my relationship with Christ is. Remind yourself every day of what has been given to you in Jesus' name. And if you have not been given that, that's your task for today, is to evaluate, have you decided to follow Jesus? Discontentment says it's not enough. The gospel says what, church? Let's try that again. Discontentment says it's never enough. The gospel says. Amen. May that be true in our lives. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. And then we invite you to come eat with us. Even if you didn't bring anything, please join us if you're able to. We'd love to have you be our guest and join us for lunch after we finish up here. Father, we give you praise that you have taken care of our greatest need in Christ Jesus. Father, may we reflect on that truth. May you instill in us an attitude, a spirit of contentment. God, help us to see the things that are distracting us from being content with you. May we rid that and fix our eyes on Jesus this day. I pray this all in the name of Christ, our Savior.